0: Thank you for listening to our sermon podcast. If you would like more information about First Baptist Church of Silva, please visit firstbaptistsilva.com. So, let's just get down to it, shall we? John 3.16 steals the show. It gets all the attention. Like the old saying goes... Never perform with children or animals. They will simply steal the scene, steal the show, and for good reason. It's John 3:16. There's a reason why we have it on our T-shirts or spray paint it um, on bed sheets and display them in the end zone at. Football games. It's John 3 16. I mean, think about it. If we're going to learn any one verse, I mean, this is the one to learn, right? It talks about God's love. And that God is motivated by love for His creation. And to prove and to show us how great God's love is, all you have to do is look at Jesus, God. In Jesus, fully human, fully divine. And, the best part, how a belief in this Jesus, this Son of God, graces us with God's eternal glory forever and ever. Amen. For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son so that everyone who believes in him may not perish but have eternal life. Well, lurking in the wings is John 3.17. It's trying to elbow itself on stage, but the standing ovation that the audience is giving to its predecessor just won't stop, which is too bad. Because John 3.17, this next verse, tells the depths of God's love. Indeed, Jesus continues. God didn't send the Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Interestingly, John doesn't set up this scene to be the final act. But I mean, if you think about it, that's how we've treated it. This is where the gospel begins and ends, right? It's as though John's audience heard John 3.16 and was so excited about it that they leapt up applauding, begging for an encore, but too punch drunk to realize that the show had just begun. John 3.16 isn't the end of our faith journey. It's the beginning. Many years ago, I went out into the wilderness. It was a road trip. I was a young man and was intoxicated by the prospect of being out in the wild west. I'd never been out west before. I remember driving across Wyoming which, for those of you all who are familiar with Wyoming will know that it is glorious, beautiful, and empty. I was on State Road 26. It was a two-lane road. There was nothing on it, which I loved. I played my western soundtracks on my old CD player in my car, windows down, imagining that I was on a horse. I remember going through Jeffrey City. I got out, took a picture of the sign. Population 23. And there I saw it. (laughs) It was the Grand Tetons. I'd seen it in calendars on on TV. I had arrived at one of the most glorious mountain ranges in all of North America. I saw it. I I pulled over. I took out my camera, which was just my camera back then. I began taking pictures of this Extraordinary mountain range. I mean, we have mountains, but y'all, these are mountains. There's an individual, however, in an RV just ahead of me, his motor puttering. He was getting out and um, emptying his garbage in a trash can right there. He looked over at me and he said, You on your way to the Grand Tetons? I said, On my way? Look at them, and he said, "You think those are the Tetons?" (laughs) Yeah, it's 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 beautiful. I'm from North Carolina. We don't we don't see see anything like that where I'm from. He said, "Well, I got news for you. Keep driving." Of course, this was long before Google Maps, or Apple Maps, or MapQuest, or Waze. I didn't know that what I had just seen was, by Wyoming standards, an unremarkable mountain range that on most maps doesn't even have a name. I was an hour and a half from the Grand Tetons, and I know it because when I crested the ridgeline and saw it, I about wrecked my car. We get to John 3.16 and we think we've arrived. We think we're done. We get out, we take pictures. We celebrate that we've made it in our faith. Then we're ready to go home and tell everybody all about it. When Jesus makes his extraordinary declaration about believing in him, John assumed that people who believed in Jesus would in fact want to be with Jesus. (laughs) Believing in Jesus meant following Jesus as his disciple. Believing in Jesus (laughs) meant acting like Jesus, becoming like Jesus, giving your full self, to Jesus think about it if believing in Jesus without a life of discipleship is what's required then the story can end right here there's no need for Jesus to deal with the messiness of discipleship of a group of men and women who who consistently got it wrong he wouldn't need to do that all he would have needed is their belief sign here raise your hand make a declaration, you're done. If belief is but a means to an end, then a life devoted to Jesus is just wasted energy that we could be doing something else with, right? I mean, if all you have to do is believe, then you can get on with doing whatever you do or don't want to do in life. And yet, Jesus calls believers to go and make disciples. Maybe those in the audience who are still applauding John 3.16 should sit down and hear the rest of the story. So speaking of discipleship, let's talk for a moment about Nicodemus. had you forgotten about him? Most of us had. Nicodemus he's the first one on the scene in the story but fades quickly into the background For just a moment let's return the spotlight to him and see what we make of this Jewish rabbi. This leader among the Jews had sought out Jesus and arranged for a kind of evening chat we've imagined Nick is It's wanting a conversation with Jesus in the shadows, you know, on the QT, on the down low. That's fair. Perhaps Nick didn't want to be seen with Jesus. His buddies might not have thought he he was cool to be associated with this upstart from Galilee. So he has to find a way to engage him where no one else could see, where the light, so to speak, wasn't bright. Nicodemus, right out of the gates, acknowledges, dare I say, professes that Jesus is from God. says, hey, teacher, we get it. We know you must be from God. Nobody could do what you're doing or or say what you're saying or teach what you're teaching or preach what you're preaching without you being from God. According to John's storytelling, it's actually Nicodemus who is one of the very first to openly acknowledge this, especially to Jesus himself. Nicodemus, and this is where we frequently get lost, Nicodemus begins to have the kind of conversation with Jesus that would have been customary between Jewish leaders and rabbis be kind of a back-and-forth affair, questioning, positing, arguing about the faith that both individuals hold dear. You may remember the story of Jesus in the temple, mixing it up with the leaders there. They argued. This is how they learned. This is how they debated and grew in their faith. They asked good questions. We shouldn't be intimidated by this encounter. It doesn't mean that Nicodemus was a loser and didn't necessarily get it. It meant that he was engaging Jesus on something that mattered. So from their dialogue we learn a couple of notable things. First, Jesus says that no one can see the kingdom of God without being born from above. And that no one can enter the kingdom of God without being born of water and spirit born of water and spirit now this is where Jesus loses Nicodemus the last words we have from Nicodemus in this scene are completely inbounds and appropriate Jesus what in the world are you talking about he asks him And with that, Jesus is is off to the races. One part finger wagon for Nicodemus' inability to see the things that are of heaven. And one part prophetic proclamation. We see Jesus telling Nicodemus what we all need to hear. And as we zoom out and we look at this encounter, we tend to paint Nicodemus as a crusty old man that just doesn't get it. And maybe he was. There are a few of us around like that. One of Jesus' critiques of Nicodemus was that he didn't have a faithful imagination to see beyond what he could see, taste, touch, and hear. But consider the other things that we know about Nicodemus. Nicodemus will later defend Jesus when his colleagues attack him. There's a moment where the Jewish authorities are ready to arrest Jesus on any number of of charges, and it's Nicodemus, not some nameless rabbi. No, John wants us to remember that it's Nicodemus, the same individual that says, now hold on guys, hold on here. We don't prosecute somebody for a crime without hearing what they have to say. Nicodemus wants to make certain that they don't just run over this Jesus and arrest him right out of the gate. So if we're going to elbow Nicodemus here and give him a hard time for not being able to grasp what Jesus is talking about, about being born again, born of water and spirit, then we also have to acknowledge that he was willing to stand up for Jesus, at least in a modest way, but that's not the only place where Nicodemus shows up. After Jesus' crucifixion, when his own followers and disciples have abandoned him, it's Nicodemus and Joseph of Arimathea who show up to bring honor to Jesus. They request his body. And Nicodemus, according to the scripture, who John goes out of his way and says, had first come to Jesus by night, also comes and what's he bring he doesn't come empty-handed he brings a mixture of myrrh and aloes these were embalming spices to preserve the body you know how much he brought maybe what a few a few ounces maybe a few bottles of of ointment no he brings about a hundred pounds worth of spices to anoint his body Scripture says they they took the body of Jesus and wrapped it with spices and linen cloths according to the burial customs of the Jews. And then they placed him in the tomb. So, y'all, before we get all kinds of haughty about Nicodemus not getting it about Jesus, perhaps we need to consider that we have more in common with him than we may care to admit. I mean, think about it. We, like Nicodemus, have acknowledged a truth about Jesus. Overwhelmingly, the people in this room and those who can hear my voice have acknowledged some truth about Jesus, just as Nicodemus did. He's from God. I believe that Jesus is unusual, unique. He is is real. We've made some kind of profession and acknowledgement just as Nicodemus had. And we too have had dialogue I believe with Jesus. At some point in our lives we've asked good questions of Jesus and even in some cases stuck around to hear what Jesus had to say. Those moments of dialogue with Jesus may absolutely have been during times of grief Where you have been hurting, where you have been immersed and baptized in uncertainty, times and moments of being in the wilderness, searching for light, you've had those conversations with Jesus. I know you have, because you've told me about them. And you've told me about how you got clarity about your future, about how you felt at peace about your present, about how Christ was helping you make sense of your past. And like Nicodemus, we've disappeared for portions of the story as well, haven't we? We find ourselves offstage in the shadows not one of the principal actors sometimes content with that sometimes not Nicodemus couldn't fully give up his position of power among the people to follow Jesus more closely as a disciple it's interesting in the passage there where Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus take Jesus' body John goes out of his way to say Joseph was a secret disciple of Jesus. Interesting. How many secret disciples do we have in this room? It's important to note that John doesn't actually say the same thing about Nicodemus, which makes sense. Nicodemus, even after professing that Jesus is from God, and even though he will go out of his way to, to slow down the posse that wants to hang up Jesus and crucify him, he still is unwilling to give up the trappings of his own power and prestige to leave it all and to follow Jesus closely. I mean, talk about a story that would preach, but that's not the one that we have here. And that may resonate with your own faith journey. I mean, think about it. Oh, sure, we've we've defended Jesus' cause at times, like Nicodemus did. And yes, we may show up with a generous gift to memorialize Jesus' death. I mean, doesn't church attendance spike at Easter? But the fact that that's all we know about Nicodemus' faithfulness to Jesus may parallel nicely with your own. Nick may believe But the truth is, he may just admire Jesus. A discipline, a a disciple, and follower of Jesus, Nicodemus is not. Admiration for Jesus is not going to cut it. When Jesus was talking to Nicodemus, he was telling him about how important it was for him to become someone who was completely new, a beginning born of water and spirit, a kind of baptism, if you will. Born again. It's a beautiful, biblically rich term that's been maligned and co-opted But in truth, Jesus is right. That is absolutely what is needed to become more than just an admirer of Jesus, but truly a follower, a disciple. That's what's needed to become new. We've got to become transformed, literally to be changed, changed for life. The book that we're going to start reading this Wednesday by Ian Cron speaks to this. It's called The Story of You. book's about how we fail at transformation because we keep living according to a corrupted, outdated story about ourselves. A story that we formed about ourselves in our childhood as we coped. With a world with any number of different hurts and pains and valleys of shadows of death. We constructed, didn't we, an understanding of ourselves and the world. And it worked for a while. But if we pause for a moment in this oasis in the desert, we may just find that that story just won't get us very far. In fact, all it does is keep us going in circles. And we wonder why we really don't change, why we're really not born again, why we're really not transformed. It's because we keep replaying an old record. And there are the same scratches that we keep getting stuck on. And we're tired of jumping so that the arm of the record player will go to the next spot part a story that we've constructed for ourselves are tiresome and inaccurate. God wants to write a new story for us, but first, we've got to let go of the false one, the false story that we've constructed to maintain Nicodemus was about as much of a disciple of Jesus as we are. He gets a front row seat to a mic-dropping moment in the gospel but fades quickly to the background after that. No. Your faith life may not be identical to Nicodemus's, but it sure may just rhyme with it. And if so, That's worthy of some follow-up conversation with Jesus. (laughs) Good news is, he's happy to talk with you about it, whether you come to him at nighttime or in broad daylight. But beware, to have a new story with Jesus, you'll have to have the courage to leave your old story behind. Let us pray. God, we're grateful that we're like Nicodemus, that we've had an encounter with you, that we've been able to have some conversation with you at some point in our life, life, and that we've heard your voice to us. We confess, God, that much of what you've said to us, whether in Sunday school, in vacation Bible school, Bible study, conversations with ministers, teachers, people of great faith, that we just don't get it we scratch our heads that we've we don't have the creative faithful imagination that is required to let go of old stories to let go of old thinking and to be born truly anew and afresh so god we we pray that you will close this sail, that you will take full possession of not only our bodies but our whole and complete opportunities, truly our building site, that you might level what we've tried to construct and rebuild something brand spanking new. Help us, God, to let go, therefore, of the house cleaning that we think makes all the difference. We pray these things in faith of the one we believe to be your son, Jesus. Amen.